Hello, everybody. It's Christopher Watson here with Empowered PAs, and today I have our guest, Kristen Burton. Uh, she's a PA, and she also has her own business where she coaches other PAs and other uh, professionals on uh, finances, getting out of debt, and other goals, that financial goals that they have. So, Kristen, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So how long have you been practicing as a PA now? It was five years this summer. So I guess right around five and a half years. Wow. You said you've done a lot in five years after graduating. Was, were you doing anything prior to PA school or is it kind of you went to undergrad and straight to PA school and out to practicing? No, I did the straight undergrad to PA school path. Um, I did my, you know, healthcare hours, so to speak, in undergrad as a CNA in a memory care facility. But outside of that, I had no experience in the medical field whatsoever. So what kind of turned you on to becoming a PA? You know, I actually started undergrad as pre-med, and then I had a counselor in college who had, you know, we were sitting down talking and I had said, you know, I'm not really sold on medical school. I'm considering dental school, optometry, you know, PA school, pharmacy school. I'm not really sure where to head. And their advice was essentially physicians work more hours, PAs work less. You should do that, which <laughs> turns out to be not true at all. <laughs> not true at all. I, not true at I all. hate when people say that. Yep. But you know, it's, it's funny. Um, we take advice, like there's no way one human being could advise on every single profession and yet they do. And so that's what they were doing. And I said, yeah, you know, that sounds like a great point. I think I'll go to PA school. <laughs> so I shouted some PAs and I liked what they were doing and, um, off I went. So you're uh, working in critical care. Is that correct? Yes. So what's a, what's a day, uh, like I guess short glimpse of the day like uh, for you in critical care practice? So I actually work nights. <laughs> so it's a glimpse into a night. Yes, um, I work night shift. I work seven on, so 12 hour shifts, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And then I get 14 days off, which is incredible. And the reason that I work every third weekend and a bunch of holidays. Um, so because it's nice, it's very different than my previous kind of hospital-based jobs. I don't do any rounding. I, um, in addition to another PA, cross-cover our um, pulmonary critical care service, which ends up being usually 100 patients-ish. Um, we have three ICUs at our hospital, a medical ICU, a cardiac ICU, and then a very small cardiovascular surgical ICU. So we'll kind of answer patient um, questions for all of those people, obviously deal with any decompensations, rapid responses, and then new admissions to the pulmonary critical care service. So it ends up being a lot of fun. There's a lot of procedures, a lot of codes. Um, it's never boring. But it's definitely changed over the last two years with COVID. <laughs> oh, I was, I was just about to ask that. Yeah, tell us, tell us how COVID really affected you on uh, as far as your practice and everything. You know, it's been miserable. Um, <laughs> there's not really any other way to say it. In the beginning of the pandemic, it was just this like horrible uncertainty that no one really knew. Um, you know, if staff were going to get sick, if we were going to run out of ventilators, if we were going to have enough BiPAPs. Um, so once the kind of initial disaster, just like no one knows what we're doing, what to expect phase 
went by, um, you know, it just became like fighting burnout and dealing with like the never ending seeming like waves of more and more cases. And now I'm currently pregnant. So that added an extra layer of like, I don't love being here, you know, um, but it's my job and it is what it is. So it's been, um, very, very much a learning experience and yeah, I've grown from it, but I can't say I'm happy. I've gone through it either. (laughs) Well, first of all, congratulations on the pregnancy. Thank Uh, you. Is this your first? It is. Oh, congratulations. Exciting times for you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say new grad, but you kind of was trial by fire with uh, being in critical care. And then right at the, you had been practicing, what, two years or three years prior to the really COVID starting for you? Usually right around three years before. Okay. Well, at least you, you know, got that two year kind of learning curve on your belt a little bit, yeah. which I'm sure you're always learning in critical care. Absolutely. Yeah. In all fields of medicine, but absolutely. Well, right. So, but you've also in that time frame that you've been practicing for five years, um, been working in critical care, also, you know, like everybody, just uh, working all kind of hours and stressed out with uh, taking care of COVID patients. But you've also you've really developed your an own your own business, or a lot of people call it the side hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's it's a lot of to do with finance. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So actually, that the desire to do it started really pretty shortly after I graduated, um, just out of my own struggle with my student loan debt. So I graduated, I went to a private PA program and I graduated with $161,000 in student loan debt, which is a little high, but a lot of people deal with similar debt burdens. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing when I took out the loans in the first place. A lot of them were private, you know, interest rates were nine and 10%. Um, and I really just, I had a hard time at the beginning of my profession because I felt like I wanted to like the job, but I felt so trapped financially by the job and the situation I created with the loans that I had a really hard time really even just enjoying it. So I am kind of out of my own struggles, having to figure out literally from ground zero, like how to deal with debt, how to invest, how to do all this stuff. I realized that there are a plethora of other healthcare professionals that are all in the exact same boat. And after I'd spent several years sort of clawing my way out of the hole and having some success, I realized that I could help other people, which was the beginning of this business. That's, that's awesome. So you, it took you roughly 16 months. Is that correct? What I, you know, and then another big exciting news is that after that 16 months, you are also, you're not only debt-free, but our student loans paid off. You're completely debt-free in, in a paid-for home. Yes. That is yeah. huge. <laughs> Thank huge. you. Huge. So if we have any new grads out there listening, or you know, you're just you're just about to finish up PA school, or even if you've finished out and been practicing for years, that is huge. And you probably hadn't figured out. And if you can come out of PA school with no loan, you're ahead of the game right there. Oh, absolutely. You're ahead of the game. You know, I have a a very similar story, you know, like you, I went to PA school, already had undergrad debt and just rolled it into my, uh, my PA school debt, which again, I, I did very similar. I went to a private school mainly because the out of state tuition or the tuition at a private school versus my out of state tuition wasn't really that much difference when you was talking about taking out student loans. And I, like you graduated with 
if I by you calculate all, it probably was close to 175 when you calculate both undergrad and and graduate um, student loans. And I struggled. I struggled for a long time. Uh, of course, I didn't I didn't do like you and after a couple of years get out of debt in 16 months. But um, I remember when I first was out practicing, I had basically two house payments. One house payment was my house and the other house payment was essentially was my student loans. They, they, it was actually my student loans cost more than my house payment. So did mine. Yeah. And that, and that, and we were, my wife and I was looking at that and it's like, we just, we just can't keep doing this. Um, so when you were in PA school or right before PA school or at any time, did it ever dawn on you when taking out these student loans or signing that line at, ah, this might be a bad idea taking out loans? I wish I could say yes, mm-hmm. um, but honestly, not really. I'm a very like goal oriented person and I really genuinely just put the blinders on and I'm like, you know, full speed ahead. I'm going to finish this program. I'm going to finish it well, and I'm going to get the job. And I really blocked out like all the financial aspects of whether or not it was a good plan, if a private program was a good plan. I really didn't care. It was just like, well, where do I have to sign to get the money? I'm going. Um, it wasn't until honestly within a month of graduation that I even added it all up. And then I realized it maybe hadn't yeah. been the best plan and, um, had the whole, like nearly vomit in the mouth moment when I realized like, wow, I owe almost $200,000 from this. So, so I'm going to ask you this. What does the term borrowed future mean to you? Hmm, that's an interesting question. You know, I think when people say that, I feel like there's a very negative implication that you're essentially like, for example, in the case of grad school or whatever, you know, taking out ridiculous amounts of student loans to create a future for yourself that ultimately, you know, you may or may not ever be able to pay back or pay back with substantial kind of harm to yourself and your future. Now, there is a point where that becomes true, but I also think acting as though everybody can get through school, especially these expensive graduate programs without any loans is not reasonable and is a huge barrier to most people accomplishing their dream career. Like I could have never gone to grad school without student loans. Now you can do it much wiser than I did. And you can really think about debt to income ratios and try to be way more intentional about it. But I think blanket statement applying that to really anybody taking out student loans isn't really fair. Well, and I, I bring that up because there was um, a series, and, and I, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, and the series I'm talking about that that's titled by that. And it really, to me, shined the light on if not so much graduate school, like what we, what me and you went through, uh, because you know we we did get a skill. I mean, we are able to get jobs that you know basically, like you said, can have a good salary to pay back our loans in a timely manner, especially if you're focused and and diligent about it, but. I think it's that time frame of when we were in graduate uh, undergrad, right? And so, you know, you, you're you're taking all these student loans, you're 17 years old or 18 years old, and you have no clue what you're doing, right? right. And so I, I thought that was interesting. So um, not to, you know, plug a bunch of different stuff, but, you know, if those of you are about to go to whether it's PA school or any kind of school, uh, undergrad, whatnot, you should check out a podcast series called uh, Bard Future. It, it would kind of at least make you think a bit. So um, you, you've really 
now that you've gotten out of debt and you're, you've got your website up and your your business going on where you're coaching folks on how they can do the same and even invest. Um, so tell us about some of your your wins uh, so far. We've talked about paying off debt. We talked about, um, you know, your, your paid for home. Um, you and what are some of your new goals and, and what are you doing for us financially now? Yeah, so right now um, we're really focused on growing like a very strong asset base. So we would like, we initially started on the path of like, okay, you know, we're going to kind of do the financial independence retire early thing. And I think, you know, we've done some soul searching and both have sort of realized my husband and I that it's not necessarily that we don't want to work. And we just would like to have a lot more control over what work looks like and schedule and things like that. So our initial plan was to be able to retire at 45. And honestly, financially, we probably still would be on track to do that. Although I don't think that's really the goal anymore. At this point, we're both trying to kind of put ourselves in a situation where, again, maximal flexibility, um, you know, it may involve entrepreneurship, it may involve kind of an atypical, like, you're not going to the nine to five every day, maybe some, you know, periods of like digital nomad type of life, things like that to where, you know, we just have options. So right now we're very focused on investing. We've invested um, up until this point, pretty much solely in the traditional like stock market type of approach. Right. Um, as of 2022, we're moving into investment real estate, which will be a whole new venture for us as well. So in the combination of those two things, we're basically trying to create financial independence. Um, we should be there by mid forties. And then what we'll choose to do at that point will really just be driven by kind of what our family life looks like, what passions we have, and not necessarily the need for a paycheck, which will be very different than, um, you know, we're in right now. Well, and I, I think you made a good point. It's not so much retire at, I mean, it sounds great, right? I'm going to retire early, retire at 45 and do nothing, right? But it's not so much, I think you, I think it's, and, and a lot of people get confused about that. It's not necessarily mean do nothing. It means do what you want to do and how you want to do it. And you're not tied down to, oh, well, you have to be here at 530 in the morning and start right now. And you don't get to leave until I tell you to. That's a big difference. So it's, yeah, no, I don't want to do that and don't have to. You know, it's different. And so it's not that you're not going to be, necessarily practicing a PA, but maybe you find a new passion like you're doing now with your entrepreneurship, your your business. Maybe you start a new business or another business. Who knows? Or as you said, maybe it's just where you work when you want to while you're traveling or whatnot. So uh, I think that's awesome. So not to getting into any age calling out or anything like that, and that's a big, big no-no, you know, but where I made a mistake is in my 20s, not investing anything. And I, I just think about this the other day with, with my wife. If I had just put in a little something, just just 5%, I would probably have and did nothing else but just put a little money away in, in an investment uh, fund and just left it alone. I could have pretty much close to a million dollars right now just just sitting there. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm playing catch up because, you know, and this is just my personal, you know, example. Um, I, I'm, you know, I looked at my forecast and, you know, unless, you know, things just ultimately go wrong, I should be fine, but I could, it could be a lot different. Right. Speak on that on, on your, cause 
um, you know, you know, starting investing early and, and, and getting to where you are now, because that's ultimately, because I'm not quite where you are now. And that's like where I'd want to be, where I've got whole, you know, real estate investments and, and other, like other business investments and, and things to the point where basically where you got assets that are making money for you and you're not working. Right. So I made, you know, similar decisions. Um, and it wasn't until, well, late twenties that we really started, um, investing consistently and aggressively. So I, when I was younger, really my only financial knowledge came from Dave Ramsey, which I'm not speaking against Dave Ramsey. He has done an incredible things for a lot of people, but his advice- oh, it works. If you, I mean, I mean, if you, if I, I'm a big fan of his as well. Now yes. I can't say that I've followed his plan hundred percent to the T, but yes. if you do, I mean, it is a plan that can work. Right. And, you know, I mean, we literally went on his show and did like a debt-free scream. So again, awesome. nothing yeah. against Dave Ramsey, but his advice is very clear. Like you need to be completely out of debt before mm -hmm. investing, which is great if your debt is credit card debt or your $15,000 auto loan and is not always a great idea if your debt is, you know, $250,000 in student loans because you miss all of those key investing years. And like you mentioned, the twenties have incredible benefits in terms of just what compound interest and time can do for you. If you get started early versus waiting until you're, you know, late twenties, thirties, forties, whatever. So all we did when we first started out was we did my husband's 401k match. Now, honestly, thankfully I worked like nobody's business paid off those loans super quickly and started investing right away after that. But a lot of people will still, even if they're being aggressive and taking care of their loans much quicker than the traditional term, they'll still take five, six, seven years. So by the time that's all said and done, gosh, you've missed a lot of compounding and a lot of potential investment returns. So I now um, kind of, I don't regret paying off my loans quickly, but there are a few aspects of it that I do regret. I wish we would have maxed out our Roth IRAs as we were paying off the loans and maybe even increased the 401k contribution and done a little bit more investing along the way. It wouldn't have dramatically changed how long it took to pay off the loans. You know, maybe it would have been 24 months instead of 16 months or something like that. But those early 20s, Man, I mean, those are the golden investing years. So yeah. if you've been fortunate enough that somebody's told you when you're young how powerful that can be and you get started early, you can be in an incredible situation. You know, I, I fell into the trap. I wouldn't say trap, but, you know, my my parents just, well, one parent accidentally did well just by saving when he was 18 and, and, and you know, just putting away and never looked at it again. And then when he got ready to retire, he had all this money. And again, it's in their 18, 20 years old saving money. And, but didn't really have a clue about finances. Neither did my, uh, did my mom. And so that never got translated over to, to me. It's like, yeah, pay your debts, you know, don't write bounce, you know, write checks, keep up your checkbook, don't bounce your checks, things like that, right? You know, right. be a good citizen. Um, but everything else, you know, it didn't, I had no, no knowledge on investing, no knowledge like you're talking about. And 
looking back now, I was like, wow, if I just would have had that information at a younger age, I might not have, because we're all young and dumb. We think we know it all. We don't listen to our parents, <laughs> our elders, but at least maybe you would have got some of that information and done a, one or two things right, you know, right. going into. So, yeah, I, I'm like you. I'm hoping some of the some of the younger people either watching now or just hopefully someone can feed into when you see teenagers coming up, you know, feed into them and, and teach them the lessons that you've learned. So that, that's great. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so what's, what's, so we talked about that, you know, your, your plan of graduate, not graduating, but, um, but uh, the retirement early plan, what are, what are some other um, goals or aspirations that you have? You know, right now I'm fully enjoying being an entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. They both own companies. Um, my dad's in particular has multiple employees. My mom's is a smaller company, but um, I grew up and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I want a regular job. <laughs> yeah. So I got a regular job, and then somewhere along the way, I'm like, well, I guess it's in my blood because now I'm an entrepreneur, and um, I'm actually I've loved learning like business and even the not so fun parts, like forcing myself to learn basic accounting yes. <laughs> and like marketing and all these things. So right now I'm really honestly having a lot of fun, just growing myself as a person and gaining new skills through that process. Um, you know, I'm sure life will change for us very quickly with our, um, first little one on the way, but that's one of the few things I'm like, yeah, that one can't go. That's really too much fun. And I feel like it's making me kind of a more well-rounded person. Yes. So you, you've kind of, you've had a taste now being the employee. You yeah. have family, your mother and father have both owned their own business, been the, that entrepreneur. Now you're starting your entrepreneur uh, task and you've been doing your, this business for how long now? I started it December of 2019. So a little over two okay. years. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you've done it for a couple of years now. You, you've started, you know, getting your kinks worked out and, and got your vision of where you're heading with this. Uh, it could, you know, continue to grow and, and who knows. No one kind of doing both aspects of it because, you know, I was, I was talking to a patient of mine the other day who owns their own business, but it's you know, you live or die off when you own your own business. Um, I have another friend that owns a, a restaurant here locally. And, you know, right now the, the job market, there's jobs available, but no one, no one's there working them. And so, you know, he went from, well, the, the restaurant owner went from, you know, managing his business to now working in the business, like really into the business now where, you know, that's where he started to build it. And he, at this point in the stage, he was hoping to kind of step back a little bit. Mm -hmm. So seeing both those aspects, you know, what, where do you feel like you are, you, as far as going for your continue to be more of that entrepreneur and own your own business, or I guess, give me some plus and minuses since you've done both now. Yeah. I mean, first off, I, uh, I've never done that. Like I've never been all in fully reliant on my business and mm -hmm. not had an additional paycheck, which I think takes a lot of the pressure off versus like you mentioned, if you're like live or die, you know, got to keep the lights on this business has to succeed type of thing. But honestly, I plan to probably err more on the side of entrepreneurship and less on the side of employee, just as we move forward in life. Mm -hmm. However, for me, a lot of that ability to take that risk because it is a risk 
comes from putting us in a good financial situation to where, you know, we're not so paycheck reliant because we have other income producing assets that allows you to do a little bit of kind of the extras and, and take extra chances. So I, in that regard, um, I mean, it's incredible to be your own boss. It's fun to be like the creative person and have the vision and do something, kind of make something from nothing. That part is really fun. Um, of course, it is hard. Like there's no one else to do the nitty gritty when right. it's like a very small business. So you really kind of have to wear a lot of hats. There's, it's not for everyone. And I don't want to like glorify entrepreneurship. Like it's the key to success in life because it's not, and it's not the key to success in wealth either. I mean, you can work a traditional job and invest well and become extremely wealthy that way too. So it's really just a personal preference, but I think just for my own, my own taste, I'll probably end up as we become more and more financially independent, moving towards entrepreneurship. And actually my husband really kind of wants to do the same, but you know, you can't just like both of you up and quit your jobs and like start businesses without having some sort of standing and income producing assets to help support you. Um, you know, of course the beginning of any business is not very profitable. So, <laughs> well, and, and you gotta have a plan. Right. And so you can't just have an idea and just run with it, which you can. I guess what I meant to say is that if you have an idea, it's a good idea. You should test it out mm -hmm. if you want to do, you know, you want to you know, see if it see, because if you if you never try it, you'll always wonder. But that being said, you do need to have a plan. You, yeah. you know, if you don't have a plan, you know, there's no telling where you're head up, at least with a plan. Even if you don't go exactly the straight arrow you thought you were going to, at least it'll be pretty close. Right. Um, but so, yeah, that that's great. You know, I've often looked at, you know, moving towards that direction myself, what what I like about it, but also realizing that uh, there's a lot of responsibility on would be on myself or, or whoever is the fact that I just want the freedom to have control over my time, not knowing that I'll still have late nights and stuff working on, you know, my business, but I'm the boss. Right. I get to make a decision and I don't have someone telling me what to do. Um, and I've kind of, I've really been in different organizations at this point have seen where people have done it right and taken care of their employees and people have done it wrong. And so I really like to see in a situation where I can take what I've learned and do it right and treat when I have employees, treat them right. And so we've seen a lot of that and there's been a lot of articles. I don't know if you read, um, I can't think of his last name right now. I think it's his first or it's Harrison, something or other, but he had an article in AAPA where, uh, they talked about why PAs leave their jobs. And number one was, you know, lifestyle change. Uh, I forget what number two, but number three in it was, um, like hostile work environment or poor work condition, things like that, you know? And so I thought that was huge that that actually made the top three. Cause most people wouldn't, you know, you'd think they just wouldn't tell you, they just get mad and leave. So, right. Now you make an interesting point. And honestly, that's sort of rampant in the world of medicine. I think, yes. um, unfortunately, um, I think medicine is a field that is sort of notorious for having that type of culture. So you're right. Being able to create, um, kind of your own microculture and treat people in a specific way and set the tone is probably the, one of the bigger benefits of entrepreneurship in general. Yeah. 
So one thing I ended up doing, kind of going back, we we're talking about our student loans and stuff, and I actually promote this to anybody that'll listen, um, especially people that are wanting to go into PA school uh, prior to PA school and even after if they just graduated. But, you know, I was drowning in, in the student loan debt so bad that um, I even looked at this during PA school, but I actually ended up joining the military, but I joined five years after I was practicing. Um, you know, and part of it, I've always wanted to had a lot of family that's been in the military, mostly in the kind of National Guard setting. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's just I had that drive um, should have done it when I was 18. But mm -hmm. I had other reasons why I did not. But I got married, it was in right after 9-11, the height of that. And so I was go getting ready to go to PA school and was getting ready to sign up for uh, the Navy, looked at the Navy, looked at the, uh, uh, the Air Force and I was getting ready to go in and, you know, the wife was all, you know, okay, yeah, let's do this. But then it was like right before we're getting ready. I was like, no, don't do it. You know, I don't want you to go off. And so that went on a couple of years. We kind of went back and forth a few times with that. But then after practicing five years, moving to Pensacola, Florida, where there's a bunch of military families uh, around, she, she learned it wasn't really that bad. And so, but it's been a great resource for me. They've been able to uh, pay down and, and pay back my student loans through the uh, programs that the military has. But, you know, I was fortunate where I'm in now, but had I joined during PA school, man, they, they pay for your tuition, they pay for your books, they pay um, for your room and board, they give you a stipend. And you start out uh, with time and grade. So your two years that you're in PA school, even though you'll owe four at the end, mm -hmm. it already starts towards your retirement. And so, yeah, you can go to active duty. You could do reserves for a while or go to active duty, then reserves. And so right now I'm on track to have, I guess, two separate retirements, one with the military and then one, you know, everything I do outside the military. Wow. And so, uh, you know, that's something that, that, I should have done sooner uh -huh. later, but I'm, I'm very glad I did that. And so I, I try to have, you know, let people know about that too. And that it's not for everybody. I know that not sure. everybody's is cut out for it, but it's, it's been good to me. And so I do recommend that to right. other people as well as a way to pay for PA school. Right. Well, if, I mean, if you have a driver and interest, of course, like you mentioned, it's like win-win, why not? Yeah. Right. So what do you do for the military now? Well, I'm a PA, I'm in the army, army reserves. And so, okay. but yeah, I'm a, I'm a PA there. And so way the, and most of the military works the same way as they, they plug you where you need you. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm more of a backfield. So um, I don't, you know, we do a lot of administrative stuff like on the weekends and two weeks out of the years and stuff okay. like that. But when they need us, we, we may go to a hospital and a backfield at a hospital, of course, you know, deployment overseas and in different sure. places like that. But, you know, um, my most recent um, deployment, I worked both, it was kind of three roles. I was one day I was kind of family medicine, one day I was urgent care. And then during the urgent care, you kind of acted as a ER slash urgent care. If it's bad enough to be ER, you had to manage it till you got them out. Otherwise, okay. it's kind of like urgent care. So. Wow, very interesting. So was that difficult to kind of step into that type of setting after doing orthopedics for so long? Or did you feel like you were still up on all the you know other medicine stuff and it wasn't a difficult for you? I think typically it would be difficult. I think what benefited me is that early on in my PA career, um, I was not only doing orthopedics, but moonlighting in urgent care and then transitioning for a year or so strictly in urgent care. But it, but at this point, it had already been two or three years since I've worked in that setting. 
So mm-hmm. I had to I had to rejog my memory on that. But luckily enough, and this is where the military is, is that you know it's it's everybody's in it together. And so we had an internal medicine, two internal medicine doc, and and another. Um, I guess, primary care provider there. And we would just, you know, they would send all the ortho problems to me or ask me about <laughs> sure. ortho problems. Sure. And then, you know, um, yeah, and it, rhabdo came in. I was like, all right, I know I needed to start this, but what else do I need to do with this rhabdo, you know, and uh, things like that. So I was, or, or um, you know, con- concussions and things like that. I would, you know, things outside of my everyday ortho stuff, I would, you know, check with them. But, you know, gotcha. foot fungus, I think everybody can treat foot fungus, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. You mentioned that you did moonlighting um, in an urgent care setting. Was that like just for your clinical practice or was that for money reasons or why did you decide to do that? Well, it was money reasons, but also my, one of my, not the first orthopedic job I had, but the second one, we didn't take call like trauma call and it was just office call. And so I had, you know, I did work one weekend a month, maybe two in the urgent care setting. And so I did that for two reasons. One, yeah, I picked up extra money and, um, but also to stay up on those skills that we learned in PA school as a general, um, you know, general practitioner. So I wouldn't lose those skills and that helped. But what really helped is when I was in it for that year to two year timeframe and just put, because I would, I would see such a wide variety of patients come through and how to remember all my cardiac meds and, you know, and of course, you know, how to treat blood pressure and then diabetes, diabetes ones, that's just not my favorite to treat, but, and luckily I wouldn't always have to treat it, but you'd have enough, you'd have to refill their meds because they couldn't get in to see the primary or things like that. And, you know, I know we don't typically do that in urgent care, but what are you going to do? Let them not have their diabetic medications for two weeks. Yeah. You're not going to do that. So Interesting. So I did a lot of moonlighting early on as well, um, but that's how I paid off my loans. Um, so I paid, if you do the math, like about $10,000 a month, which is much more than um, any PA's take home salary. So yeah. I, I did that by moonlighting and I get asked a lot um, if that was like a negative or how that affected my career. Um, you know, if I was burnt out, those kind of things. And so I always ask when people say like, oh, you know, I picked up a little extra here or there, which of course a little extra varies tremendously depending on who's saying it. But, um, you know, it's just, it's a common question that I get. I worked a ton of extra jobs um, doing mostly hospital medicine stuff, but um, I felt like it was a huge, huge benefit to my career. Ultimately, I felt like I got to see a lot, learn a lot experience, you know, the more you're in medicine, like you said, the more you see, the more broad things you see, the more you learn. And, um, but between that and networking, I felt like it really put me on a good footing. So I was just curious kind of what your experience had been. Um, at that point, very similar. I, I probably would have considered doing other things too. Uh, it was just, that was an opportunity I had and, and I took it within the hospital system I was working in. Um, yeah, and, and I, I know you ha- on your website, you have like a little, um, I guess, a how-to guide on on the per diem work and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, for, for me, um, that's what it was. But now there's no way I would, you know, right now I, I went between the military and then any on-call that I have now with uh, the practicing, I, I wouldn't pick up anything extra right now. But I'm curious, um, what would be some tips you give and recommendations for other PAs looking to do that kind of uh, per diem type work, things like that? 
Yeah, one of the major things is to, in general, stick with something that's either you're well prepared for out of PA school, which is typically like family practice, urgent care type of setting, or is what you're already doing clinically, because it's very difficult um, to pick up a per diem in a different type of field. You know, somebody that is hiring a per diem employee wants someone that's functional um, right out of the gate. You know, of course, they're willing to give you the icing, so to speak, but no one has time to give you the cake. So um, having just sticking with things that you sort of know you can walk into and reasonably expect to succeed is important. And then one of the other big mistakes um, that I made was I lucked out that these per diems that I got had tail insurance, but I did not look, I didn't know to look. Um, you know, it's like the very beginning of my profession. So that is a huge thing is making sure your medical malpractice coverage with tail insurance is in place. If you're going to take per diem work, otherwise it's absolutely not worth the money. So (laughs) I got burnt on that. Not so much from a per diem standpoint, but my first job when I left and, and they said, Oh, by the way, you know, you got to get your own tail. And I'm like, what? And tail insurance for specialty, especially surgical specialty is super expensive super expensive. So uh, anybody out there that hasn't dealt with this yet, take that information and use it wisely. Take notes. Yeah. It's something you can want to avoid, but live and learn. You know, I was trying to make more money. So I just jumped right in and learned some lessons along the way. Right. I, you know, I, I tell you that, that was, um, that was a big learning experience for me there. Uh, but what we was telling uh, when I was doing a little stint of academia, what I'd tell our students is like, do not take like a locum's job right out of school. Um, you know, and that's that's one thing I one time we had a I guess a locum's recruiter that wanted to come talk to our students. And, you know, mm-hmm. for a while I was like, oh, OK. But then I was like uh, when they first said, no, that's a bad idea, because if yeah. anyone and, and I think we had to allow them to do it because we already agreed to do them. But after that, I don't think we allow that to happen anymore at that university because it's just such a bad idea for a new grad, a bad idea. I mean, it's just, right. you can get your, like you said, you can get yourself in trouble if you don't have enough experience to say, Hey, this isn't right. Right. I don't need to be doing this, you know? Right. Absolutely. And honestly, I feel like the first year in particular, even more as a new grad, having excellent mentorship is really what makes or breaks your profession. So being in the same location, having an outstanding mentor, having people who are invested in seeing you grow. I mean, that's huge for your longevity as a PA in general. So by taking just a locum's job out of the gate and you're like skipping all of that, I think you're really missing a lot of professional development. Yeah, I I would, I would a hundred percent agree in that hundred percent agree. So what's uh, so you have a website? What what's your what's your website uh, for people to to go to and check it out? It is www.strivewithkristen.com. Yeah. So I encourage everybody to go out there and, and check out her website. She's got a lot of great information and resources there for you. Um, there are some you know paid prescription, but you know there's worth it. You know for that information that that you may not have gotten anywhere else. Uh, and it's all packaged there, easy to, you know, together, easy to read, um, and it's all in one place. You know, like like a lot of things, yeah, you can get this information, but, you know, here Kristen's packaged it all up for you and kind of somewhat giving you a step-by-step guide on on a plan on how to do things and, and what's worked for her and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, any, and you have Instagram handle. What's your, what's your Instagram handle? It is also at Strive with Kristen. Okay, and then Facebook's the same, correct? 
Facebook is the same. Now I will say I'm mostly on Instagram. So I try to be really engaged in, on Instagram. Um, I try to answer all the direct messages that I get. I might be a little slow, um, but you know, if you have a question or um, you just want to kind of throw something around or toss something out, that's probably the easiest way. Um, my email is on my website and I do respond to all those as well. But if you hop on Instagram, I usually, I try to get on there every single day and stay in touch. So Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, well, Kristen, thanks for, uh, joining us and, um, you know, I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. This was a great conversation. Um, really appreciate what you're doing for the PA community.